Part of being human is to experience longing. Longing that comes in all shapes and sizes in our lives. Longing for a sports team to win a particular competition. Longing for a change in society or a change at your workplace. A change perhaps in your home with your marriage. Maybe parents a change in your children. Maybe children at home. Maybe change in your parents, right? We have longings of all sorts of shapes and sizes. We have longing for love. We long for meaning. Longing in the world is a very ancient reality. It's not just a modern phenomenon. In fact, it's been with us from the time time began. Longing is ancient. In fact, uh, Augustine, the well-known theologian, born in 354. That was a long time ago, over 1,600 years ago. Augustine is known as the first modern biographer. Wrote, wrote really in his confessions what many uh, consider to be the first autobiography. And in speaking to God, this is what he is, uh, one of his well-known statements. He says, God, you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. You see, restlessness is universal. In the human heart, in every culture, on every continent, in every epoch of history, restlessness is universal in the human condition. Everywhere you turn, it might seem that the grass is greener than wherever you are standing at that moment. You ever notice that in your life? Wherever you're standing, it may be okay, but it's hard not to look around you and and to think the grass everywhere else seems to be greener, that it's better in that life, where that person has uh, much more than you do, and uh, it's so easy to have uh, all sorts of different longings in our lives. Ecclesiastes, one of the more haunting verses in the Old Testament, says this, that God has also set eternity in the human heart. God has set eternity... In the human heart. It is part of our design. And because of the fall of sin. And and the separation that is caused with God. There there is something that we long for. We long for something that is bigger. Than what we experience in this life. That is something almost innate in us. That longs and clamors. For something beyond what we have. Something bigger and better. Than what most of our lives experience. I've never known anybody who does not actively try to fill this longing in their life. People do it in different ways. Some do it a little bit more actively. Others do it more passively. But every one of us is in a journey trying to seek out ways of filling this long and deep, deeply rooted longing of our life. Sometimes we do it through scenic vacations or adrenaline-filled experiences uh, through sexual exploits, through global sports extravaganzas, drugs that take our minds somewhere else, through hallucinations and so forth. But no matter what our experiences, the longing, the deep longing of the soul remains. C.S. Lewis noticed this in his writing. He said this, that if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy... The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for another world. You see, sister and brother, your longing is used by God to point you to Jesus as the true fulfillment 
of your life, just like that song we just sung about, as the deer pants for living water, so we, our souls, long for the presence of God that Jesus brings. This is what we, in this church, describe as the fullness of life through Jesus, because we we believe it's our mission to live in the fullness of, of Christ and the life that He gives, and to also go and to share that full life gospel opportunity with the people around us. So that their deepest longings in life might also be satisfied in the person of Jesus. Today I'm so thankful for the reflections of scholars like C.S. Lewis and John Piper, Dallas Willard, Leon Morris, who have helped me in preparing this message today. But most of all, I'm thankful for Jesus who informs us in the Gospel of Matthew. I want to invite you today to get your Bibles out because uh, I think you'll find it helpful to have your Bibles to be able to look at at additional verses uh, that won't be on your screen today. And uh, just as we reflect, uh, as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount and these Beatitudes, we come to this fourth Beatitude when Jesus says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If we're to take a, a pause and a step back, and if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at, at how the, the Beatitudes, this beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, how they, they are laid out there in your Bible. There's eight of them. Uh, the last couple of verses really are, are an augmentation of the last, uh, describing persecution. Uh, but the Beatitudes are the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, chapters th- uh, verses 3 to 12. And uh, it's almost like the way they're structured is kind of like a sandwich. You know, a, a good sandwich, of course, you got a piece of bread and all the filling in the middle and another slice of bread, right? The, the Sermon on the Mount begins in a similar way because the first Beatitude and the last Beatitude point us to this reality that uh, we will uh, live in and know the kingdom of heaven, that theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the first beatitude and the last beatitude, verse 3 and verse 10. You see, the idea is that God's kingdom comes and fills our longing, and he does it by gracing us, by giving you the grace to see what is true and real about life. What is true and real in the world. What is truly worth pursuing and what truly satisfies. That is what God wants you to know. And that is why he opens wide the kingdom for people who don't deserve it. People who cannot earn it. People just like me who need it desperately. People who recognize our longing and our longing is only met in the satisfying relationship that Jesus himself gives to us. It's kind of like the story of a guy who was riding shotgun in a car, a man who had never driven a car before, never put gas in the car before. And during uh, during a trip, the driver of the car said, hey, keep a lookout for a gas station because we need some gas. And they, the, the man riding shotgun who had never driven a car before, never put gas in a car, he leans over, looks at the gas gauge and says, he says, no, we're, we're good. Uh, we don't need it. And the driver responded, says, well, we're on E. And uh, the, the man in the shotgun says, right, we're good. And the driver says, well, what do you think that E and F mean on a gas gauge? You know, E and F on the the extremes of the gas gauge, what do you think those mean? The man in the shotgun, he says, E means enough, and F 
means finished. Right? He didn't know how to read a gas gauge correctly. And everything about the idea of a car was skewed because of that. God helps you and me to read the gauge of life correctly so that we can turn to Him and allow Him to fill our deepest longings. To fill our deepest longings. You see, these Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, they begin in verses 3 and 10, kind of like two slices of bread on the sandwich. Uh, and they, they, each of those draw our attention to the reality that ours is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, because of what God provides to us. But if we look a little more closely, the, the eight Beatitudes, it's kind of interesting, they, they might be viewed as broken into two sets of four. Four at the beginning and four at the last four. And they are, they are also the, the fourth verse and the eighth verse. So the last verse in each of these sections of four uh, have the word righteousness in them. So a bit of a summary statement of each of these four of uh, the attitudes in verses uh, 6 and 10. You see, the first four of these Beatitudes uh, describe our longing and our need for God. So I want you to go this week and go back and review the first four Beatitudes and listen how they describe our need and our total dependence on God to, to fill the longing of our life. You see, the broken and the grieving and the quiet person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. That, that is what is being described in the first four of the Beatitudes. The last four describe what being satisfied in Jesus means. It, it begins to, to transition us into the rest of the sermon that helps us now understand that we, we cannot earn our way into the kingdom, but Jesus opens the kingdom freely to us. And we come as longing people, people with deep longings, and we recognize that only Jesus can fill them, and then we begin to see what being satisfied in Christ is. And we, we see that there are merciful and pure and peacemaking uh, realities that emerge in us. And those peacemakers, and these pure in heart and the merciful ones, are the ones at the end of the Beatitudes who are persecuted because of their righteousness. You see, they, they come with a longing, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, in verse 6, they will be filled, and then at the end of the Beatitudes, they're persecuted because of the righteousness that God has filled them with through Jesus. Does that make sense? I hope so. Pastor John Piper says this way, uh, uh, describing what righteousness is. He says that if we are hungering, if we were hungering for righteousness, in verse 6, because we were empty... And then we get persecuted for righteousness in verse 10 because we've been filled. Isn't it proper to define righteousness as that which we have been filled, namely mercy, purity, and peacemaking? In other words, what is righteousness is what John Piper is drawing our attention to. And, and this, the way Jesus describes righteousness here in the Beatitudes and uh, in other areas of the Sermon on the Mount, we begin to... Uh, have a picture of what Jesus means by righteousness. Righteousness. What does it mean to live rightly with God? And what does it mean to live right with ourselves in the world and with others? You see, in Matthew 5, verse 20, 
Jesus points us to the, the righteousness of the Pharisees, and he says how it is inadequate. Now, the Pharisees were really serious about their spiritual life. They took very serious. They had high scruples, and they, they took very seriously the activity of their life, the choices that they made, because they thought that by doing all the right things, they would find the pleasure of God, and he would be pleased and accepting of them. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And this would have been mind-blowing for his hearers. Because nobody in their world was more serious about religious things than the Pharisees. Nobody in their, their life and their experience was more serious and dedicated to honoring God than the Pharisees. But Jesus is saying that the way in which they're pursuing righteousness is, is off course. It's not adequate. And so for many of them, I'm sure they stepped back and, and, and thought to themselves, well, it's impossible. And in, in one sense, I think Jesus has, has got them right where he wants them. He, and he's saying exactly it's impossible in your own strength. It's impossible with the things that you would do. But nothing is impossible with him. Nothing is impossible in what he can give to you. Righteousness is available and possible because of Jesus giving it to you. And that is the place where he wants us to come. You see, the rest of chapter 5 then of this Sermon on the Mount begins to lay out and outline ways in which Jesus shapes righteousness into our life. He talks about things like lust and anger and, and so forth, telling the truth and, and so forth. These are the ways of discipleship. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to walk and to live life in the way of Jesus. And it is for all, for everybody who follows Jesus, not just for the spiritually super sainted people, not just for ministers or clergy or those who have graduated from seminary. This is for all people who claim to follow Jesus. This is the life and the righteousness that Jesus wants to bestow on you and then to shape in your life. You see, righteousness is for you and for me. It is showing mercy. Righteousness for you and for me It's showing mercy to other people. It's being radically pure in heart before God. It's making every effort to make peace with others. You see, these are the subsequent beatitudes that we will come to in due time, in the weeks to come. It's about being radically pure in heart before God, showing mercy to other people, and making an effort to make peace with other people. That's what righteousness, Jesus is beginning to, to explain to us about what righteousness is is the righteousness that is acceptable to God, the righteousness that is only a gift from God that we are to live in, to accept, and to enjoy in His presence. You see, this is the kind of attitude, the kind of activity that God displays toward us. And it's the type of righteousness that we are called to live in. You see, in verse 33 of chapter 6, Jesus would say to seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. This is to be a pursuit of our life. To hunger and thirst after righteousness. Not self-righteousness. But the righteousness that is the gift of God through 
Jesus and his death on the cross and the promise of his resurrected life that ensures a resurrected life for you for eternity. You see, at the end of the sermon, we also find, as we're coming toward a conclusion today, as we think about what, what exactly is righteousness, at the end of this sermon in chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says these words. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What a fascinating verse. What a troubling verse. You see, they thought they knew Jesus. They thought that Jesus knew them, but in reality they were strangers because Jesus says, I never knew you. Why? Why? I think in part it's because they did not hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. You see, they were very religious, weren't they? They were very active in their religious activity and practices. They went to church regularly, I'm sure. But the passion and the hunger and the thirst for the righteousness of God, it was not active in their lives. And so their longing remains unsatisfied. Their longing remains unfulfilled. And their longing will remain unfulfilled and unsatisfied both in this life and the life to come until... Until the day when they would surrender their life, accept the work of Jesus on the cross for them, and to make it their goal to follow Jesus and to trust Him and Him only, not in their own ability to work their way toward God, not in their own ability to live in their own sense of morality and righteousness. That's self-righteousness. God wants to take that from you and in its place to give you His very Righteousness, so that your life begins to be shaped in a manner that where you are pure of heart before the Lord, where your life then is one that seeks uh, regularly to make efforts toward peacemaking and so forth. Make it your goal, brother and sister, to follow Jesus and to let your deepest longings be satisfied in Him. Now, it's very possible that today as you're watching and listening to my voice, hearing the Scriptures that you realize perhaps that you've never really received the righteousness of Jesus. You've never really opened your life and confessed your sin and invited the person of Jesus to be in you and committed your life to follow faithfully, to put your trust in Christ for the rest of your life. And, and, and this could be the day that you could do that. I, I want to invite you today, if, if you're uncertain, if you have ever made a decision to put your faith fully in the hands of Jesus and to embrace the cross and what he's done there for you, I want to invite you today to reach out to one of the pastors on the staff, to reach out to your small group leader, to reach out to your deacon, and to ask the question, how can I be sure and to understand what it is to open my life and to let the righteousness 
of Jesus in. I have these longings that, that continually go unmet, and I want to go deeper in my walk with the Lord. Maybe you have been walking with Jesus, but you still feel and sense and understand that as no matter where you are in your life, you stand and the grass seems brown around your feet, but it sure looks nice and green in other lives. You'd rather be there and doing that rather than finding the full satisfaction that God wants to help you bloom where you're planted, to help you grow right where you are so that you can be fully satisfied in the fullness of the life that Jesus offers to you. Sisters and brothers, I believe that our church has a great and glorious season ahead uh, because of what Jesus is doing, I believe, fresh in us tenderizing hearts, making us open and vulnerable before Him, and letting Him come and shape us, and, and to let His righteousness be more fully manifested in our lives, and, and it will be more fully manifested in our church. And you know what Jesus says about the unbelieving communities around churches? He says, they will know that you are my followers. How? In the way that we love one another, in the way that, that the righteousness of Jesus wells up in our lives, and among our community, and begins to be demonstrated. And this becomes a place of, of just great beauty and attraction for the lost and the hurting and the broken because they know that here is a place where the kingdom of God is open, a kingdom that does not need perfect people, but a kingdom that is open to those who recognize their longing and their need for God and give their hearts fully into the hands of Jesus and desire to walk with Him and to be filled in His presence. May it be so in your life this day. In the life of our church, as we prepare for the future, God is making a way possible for us now. Let's pray together. Living God, we thank You for this moment, for this day together, for Your living Word that, that penetrates our hearts and examines our motives and all that is in us. We pray this day, that we would not try to rely on our own righteousness before you, but that we would trust wholeheartedly in the work of Jesus on the cross to remove our sin and to fill the deepest longings of our life with your presence and that you would shape these righteous realities in us. Not that we take any pride in them, but we delight in them when they begin to to take root in our lives because we become people reflecting more and more the personality of Jesus. And what more could we want? What better could we desire? So God, help us not to settle or to seek out counterfeits or to continue to seek out filling our longings of life in the things that the world will tell us are valuable and meaningful and will satisfy us because we know, Lord, your scripture says that all of these things eventually will, will leave us barren, they will leave us dry and ultimately unsatisfied. May we look to you and trust you, Jesus, we pray now in your name, for your sake, for this day and for eternity, we pray it. Amen.